Yeah, been dealing with a couple subjects. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And and looking the last few weeks at the th- in relationship to the throne of God, as I said last week, if you've got a kingdom, you have a government, you have a throne. And, I, and this is almost a direct quote of last week. I said, the picture of the throne is speaking of the rule, the dominion, the government of the Lord. So whenever you read throne, think of rule, dominion, government. When we view a throne, we're viewing majesty, we're viewing dominion, we're viewing government. All of these words come into play. The heavens declare his majesty, his glory. We have this picture painted throughout scripture that God rules. And I asked this question, what must what we must ask is how does he rule? How it, how does God rule? And then another question I asked last week, um, we see all the chaos in the earth, and then the question is, how is God ruling? What's the answer for the chaos? What does the kingdom of God apply to? Does it apply to all the earth or only to those that are his? All these are questions. All these are questions that you and I should take to the Lord and hear by the Spirit of God. Because, you know, sometimes we have ideas of what things mean. And really, to the Spirit of God reveals them. We sit in this place of, of not knowing. And, and what we have seen of the Lord and heard of the Lord is, and know of the Lord is what he has shown us. What he has shown us in the face of Jesus Christ, that is what we know. And if he hasn't shown us something in the face of Jesus Christ, then we, we don't know it. We, 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 we go about with, well, I believe this, I believe it this way. And that's what, uh, what we all do. I mean, uh, and I'm in the same, you know, I'm not criticizing everybody else. I'm in the same boat with you. We, 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 we have our tendency to say, well, I believe this. And, and God may believe something totally different. <laughs> and, and what God believes is correct. Even if I believe something with all my heart. If God's belief is different, his is the right one. And, and it's that willingness in our hearts to come to what he believes, what, he, what is real in him. And I know I'm, I'm speaking to people that have that heart. That's what I love about this meeting is, is I'm on with a group of people that have the heart to know the Lord and are willing to lose their lives, willing to lose their, their beliefs to have his, to have it perfected, to know perfectly the word of the Lord. And that's, that's a precious thing together with brothers and sisters that want to know perfectly. That's a big word, perfect. And, and this is why this meeting is so beautiful is because we have this fellowship of believers that are coming together in one mind, in one heart, just to know him. 
just to release everything else that they would know the Lord. And to me, that's, that's quite a gathering. That's quite a uh, fellowship. So, so last week we read Exodus 25, 8. I'm going to read it again tonight. Exodus 25, 8. And here is a picture of God's throne. Well, that's the wrong verse, but it's a good verse. And let them, 25 eight says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. And he goes through the pattern of the tabernacle and how the pattern of the tabernacle is. And then in verse 20, it says, the cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, their faces one to another toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark, you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you. There's the meeting place, the ark of the covenant overlaid with pure gold that has inside of it the stones of the covenant, the testimony, and above it the mercy seat, the seat with the blood applied. And from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. So God is meeting with Israel according to the word that he gave them through Moses. That's how God is meeting with them. And the children of Israel are in covenant with God according to that word. And so God sealed that covenant with blood. Meaning that covenant was, was, was like a will. It was sealed with the death of the animal. And in so much that it says in, in the book of, uh, I believe it's in Exodus, and it's in Exodus and then over in, in Hebrews, that when Moses had read all the words of the covenant, he sprinkled the, the book, the people, with the blood of the covenant. He said, this is the blood that you are joined to. So you were, they were joined to a word and they were joined to a blood covenant. Why did it have to be a blood covenant? Because the life is in the blood. So he poured out the life to seal the covenant. And they were bound to it. So, so, so God's relationship in Israel was according to the word he gave them. I'm going somewhere with this. It's according to the word. Hear that. The word that was given. That's what the testimony represented was, you, you know, you had the 10 laws, but I believe they represented the entirety of the law that the entirety of the law was represented, I believe, in these 10 laws. 
and they were placed in that box, that seat of mercy, or in that ark, and on that ark was a seat of mercy. And God ruled according to that word. You know, Israel, just for a moment, Israel had to approach God according to the word he gave. They couldn't approach God any, any other way. In fact, I said this last week, when they tried to approach God another way, the consequence was death. Those that came to God and they tried to come in another way, they tried to, to deal with the temple another way or the tabernacle or the ark a different way, the consequence of that was death. This was a pretty strong covenant God had set before Israel. And it was all about, if you do this, I will do this. If you keep my word, I will bless you. I will bless you. I'll bless you. I'll bless you. That's what the Lord says. That's what's said in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and so forth. We go through the Lord's blessing, and then he, he says on top of it, if you don't do my word, I will curse you. And as, as I'm studying this and looking at it, you know, I, I look at it and I come to the place in my heart and I say, well, this is impossible. This is, <laughs> some, of, some of the word here that God gave to the Israelite, and we know our own abilities, and we look at that, our own abilities, and we say, well, this is impossible to do. I can't do this. I can't come into the perfection of this word. I have not the ability within myself to get it done. Ain't that something? That we have not the ability to do it, and yet many Christians today are trying to measure up to God by that old word. That's what they're trying to do, is they're trying to come to the Lord and live to Him by a word that those that were in covenant with God in could not keep. Had no ability to do it. Didn't have the ability within themselves. And, and that's the picture in the, in the book of Revelation when John sees the book that's sealed and and he begins to weep because no man is able to loose the seals. None. John, John realizes that, that no man can loose these seals. None is able. No, not one. But weep not, John, for the line of the tribe of Judah has opened the seals thereof. And it's that great transition that, that we've come into. And see, we're given a word, and God rules us according to his word. But the word he gave us, you, you know, you, you read it in John 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, the word was God, and the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. So the word that God gives in this new covenant is the Lord Jesus himself. So God's dominion in his kingdom is the Lord Jesus himself, is the Lord Jesus Christ, the word of God. That is God's dominion. <laughs> 
That is his dominion. And that's what we're, we're talking about. That's how his throne is established. Isaiah 42, verse 5. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk in it, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people. <laughs> I just mark that in bold. I will give you. So his word of the new covenant is a you. a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind to bring the, the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prisons, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name, my glory. I give to no other nor my praise to car carved idols. So I give you as a covenant. Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9.15. Speaking of the you that he gave as a covenant, it says, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant. So that those who are called may, may receive the promise eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgression committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force for as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of Calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop had sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, most everything is purified with blood, and without shedding of blood there's no forgiveness of sins. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not in holy places made with hands, which are copies of true things, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Get a hold of this. Who appears in the presence of God for our behalf? Who appears? Christ appears in God's presence, in the spirit. God is a spirit, so God's presence is spirit. So in the spirit is the appearing of Christ. See, Here's, to me, here's a picture of that Ark of the Covenant that contained the Word of God. Right here. 
that Ark of the Covenant sat there containing the Word of God with the blood of the covenant put up on it once a year in the presence of God. It was right there in the presence of God, and it was right there as a witness to God of the covenant He made. Now, for you and I in the presence of God is Christ Jesus Himself, as the witness, as the witness. See, God, God isn't looking at this natural mercy seat anymore. He's looking at Jesus as the propitiation. And, and we're governed by Christ Jesus the Lord. Just like Isaiah says, the government shall be upon his shoulders. So, so here he appears in the presence of God on our behalf. And I know we can look at that. This also is the high priest, which he is. Coming in with his own blood. Not with the blood of an animal, but with his own blood and his own life. Because he's raised up, seated at the right hand of power. So he so now in the presence of God is the blood of Jesus and the life of Jesus, if we can hear that. So that's why John sees a lamb having been slain. So you have the slain side of the lamb, and you have the resurrected side of the lamb. It's all one lamb. But that lame lamb was slain. And all that that slain lamb speaks of is applied to us who are in covenant. So everything that's declared through the slaying of that lamb, that's the word of covenant, is applied to you and me. Everything that's declared by his death is applied to you and me. Now everything of his life is also applied to you and me. So he's raised up and seated at the right hand of God, having all power and all authority. So now that power and authority of Christ is applied to you and me. In Jeremiah... The Bible says, Jeremiah 3 and 16, it says, In those days when you multiply and increase in the land, declares the Lord, they will no longer discuss the ark of the covenant of the Lord. They'll no longer discuss it. Out of sight, out of mind. It will never come to mind. And no one will remember it or miss it. They're not even going to miss it. <laughs> Nor will another one be made. At that time, Jerusalem will be called the throne of the Lord. See, no longer will the natural wood and stone and gold and everything, all the precious things in the temple be 
of service. But Jerusalem will be called the throne of the Lord. Now let's break this down for a minute. Let's just break this down for a minute. That throne of the Lord was the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat. The mercy seat was the seat of mercy, the throne. So in that box was the word of covenant. The commandments, the words written on rocks. Above the box was where God sat. We all follow that, right? On the throne. He's enthroned between the cherubim. So, so here's the seat of mercy, and there's the blood sprinkled upon the throne. Now, no longer will we consider that Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Now, we're considering it right now, but we're considering it toward a person. We're not considering it as the throne of God, but Jerusalem will be called the throne of the Lord. So now Jerusalem is the place God sits. Okay? Jerusalem is now the place he's put his word. Jerusalem is now the place where that blood of covenant is applied. And Jerusalem is the heavenly city of God. Jesus said, you are a city set on a hill whose light cannot be hit. So here's where God has placed his dominion at. He has placed his throne, his seat of government in the heavenly Jerusalem, which you and I are, make up. And in that seat is a word. And it's the word himself. It's not, it's not another law like, like God's, do this and don't do that law. It's the person of Jesus Christ. He's the word of this covenant. So what is declared in Christ is what is applied to Jerusalem. Does that make sense? What, what is declared in Christ is what is applied to the heavenly Jerusalem. That's, that's what is applied to Jerusalem. Nothing else. See, nothing else in the in the in the type in the old Israel was applied to Israel, but what the word God spoke, nothing else. God didn't see them any other way. They saw themselves differently, but God saw them according to the word he gave. Now, the truth of it is he sees us no other way but according to the word he gave. He doesn't see us anywhere else. He sees us called up through the word that he gave, and the word that he gave was a person. It was the Lord Jesus himself. That's the word God gave. The word was made flesh. The word that God had desired from the beginning, the word that was God, the word that was God himself was made flesh and dwelt among us 
And, and that word accomplished everything God sent it to do. And now we're in covenant with God according to that living word. That's our covenant. He's our covenant. And in 2 Corinthians 3, the apostle Paul writes, verse 3, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. See, God, God didn't write this law of the new covenant on tablets of stone. He says, you are a letter from Christ. You are the written word. Not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. So, so this written word, and it's not on tablets of stone, but it's on tablets of human hearts, such as the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So here we've come into this new covenant, and this new covenant is written by spirit. And it's written in the tables of our hearts and in our minds, just like God said, and in, in, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their mind. Just in the simplicity of God saying that, the last time he took the law and he wrote it, had Moses wrote the, the, the words of the law in, 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 I guess, some kind of booklet, but he took the commandments and wrote them on stone. But here he said, I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to write them in you. And the law that he's writing in us is actually a person is actually the person of Christ is being written in our hearts and our minds, and now our life unto God is according to that word. It's according to the word of Christ. He's the word that governs us. What do I mean by that? I've said a whole lot now. I'll try to, to break it down. In, in, in simplistic terms, in the old covenant law, we approached God through the animal sacrifice, the animal, the sacrificial system. There was no other way to approach God. That was the covenant he made. That was the, the way he made. That was what he did. And Jesus comes forth and he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So now my approach to God is no longer according to that law but it's according to Christ. And so, so he that calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved in the old covenant, as simple as this is. He that calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That wasn't enforced. In the old covenant, they came through the law. In the new covenant, salvation is through Christ. That's what I mean by government. Now the, now the word that governs us is the Lord Jesus himself. So salvation comes on believing on him and the work that he did in Calvary. So, 
So just from a salvation standpoint, the simplistic salvation that many of us have preached through the years is whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this went in force through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He spoke it, and it went in force. Now, what else went in force through the death, burial, and, Je death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? We preach it all the time. He that is dead is freed from sin. That went in force. That went in force. That's part of God's government that he's freed you from sin in that you died with Christ and your sins have been rolled away. Your sins were rolled away in the body of his death. So how your sins were rolled away is they were put up on Jesus and he died. And they were rolled away in his death. That's the power of his death. He rolled the sins away. So our sins and iniquities, just like God says, he remembers no more. This is the covenant. This is good news because this is the covenant that is being written in our hearts and our minds that God would no longer remember our shortcomings. God would no longer hold our shortcomings against us. God would no longer, you, you know, even declare our shortcomings to us. That's what we look for God to do sometimes is declare our shortcomings to us. But no, in this covenant, he declares you are one with Christ. As he is, so are we. See, this is what I mean. This is the word of the covenant that's being written in our hearts and our minds, the law of the new covenant that, that this, this is what Jesus declares. This is the word he is. Because through him, you're one with God. You're not one with God any other way. See, see, we can't get one with God as much as we try. We can try to be one with God all we want, but we only become one with God through relationship of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. So I can't get one with God any other way, but through the word of covenant he gave. He gave a word of covenant and the word of covenant he gave is the Lord Jesus himself, and that's the word that God governs from on the throne. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. He governs by this word. What he did in Christ is the government and the relationship you and I have as citizens of the kingdom. How many's ever read we're a citizen of the kingdom? I've read that. So if I'm a citizen of the, of the kingdom of God, then as a citizen of the kingdom of God, I should understand that there's certain things that pertain to me as a citizen of this kingdom, right? Do we, do we understand that, that there are things that pertain to us as citizens of the kingdom of God? Have we ever considered that? Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2 says, here, but now in Christ Jesus, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down 
in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. And he might reconcile both of us to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. I love this translation. Killing the hostility. Putting the old man to death. He reconciled both Jew and Gentile to the cross and killed it. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Because now here's the peace, the cross, the Lord. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God. This is what I'm talking about. So if I'm a citizen, like Brother Randy Hobbs, I can see Brother Randy Hobbs sitting there, so I'm going to pick on him. If I'm a citizen of Manassas Park, I know my rights of Manassas Park. Right? I know what my citizenship is about, to a degree. You're a citizen with the saints and members of the household of God. But do we know what our citizenship's about? It's about the word that God gave. And the glorious word that God gave in this covenant is a person. So how God rules our hearts and our minds is according to the person of himself that he gave. So in this person, again, I'll repeat it, you are dead to sin. And in this person, you're alive to God. That's why that scripture is so powerful in Hebrews 9 that he appears in the presence of God for us. And when John sees the lamb in the midst of the throne, all those myriads and myriads that were around the throne begin to rejoice and sing a new song because in that person they have been redeemed under God. <laughs> the key to that whole passage is the person in the midst of the throne. Because there in the midst of the throne, the penalty of sin had been paid for. The slain lamb had paid all the penalties of sin in the body of his flesh and in the body of his resurrection. He had brought us forth before the Father and declared us to be righteous, to declared us to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus the Lord. That's what he declares. You have been made righteous. Because he brings us in himself. We can't get there. That's what Jesus said. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We can't get there through us. And I believe that's why the old covenant was given to, sh to show us that it's going to be utter dependence on the Lord to ever be the righteousness of God to enter into his presence. Now, that's what I believe. Because they couldn't keep it. God knew they couldn't keep it. He knew the, what's in the hearts of man. 
So Jesus comes on the scene and he begins to declare himself, well, I'm the way, I'm, I'm the access to God. And you're going to access God through him. And when I say through him, we're, we're never going to be separated, but we're going to access God through his understanding. So as I understand and know the Lord Jesus, I'm understanding and knowing God. So we don't have a different way to access God. And the old covenant is, is a perfect type and shadow of this. Israel had to come to God through the law. And God governed them through the word of covenant. And what that blood declared in the old covenant was, was applied to the Israelites. That's why, that's why Moses threw it up on them. It's applied to them. That blood that can never take away sins. That was a cleansing of the outward but can never purify the conscience. So he applied it to them. And they were in covenant. And that administration was in effect. But now we've come to a covenant where God has applied a blood to this house, to this city, to this people. And the blood that he applied to this people took away sins, pardoned iniquities, and brings, and the resurrected life of him brings us into life that he can change our minds. I'm going to stop right here. Uh, and to me, to me, this is God reigning in your life. When Jesus begins to change your mind, when your mind begins to be transformed, when your thoughts begin to become God's thoughts, there's some reigning of the Lord going on in our lives. Because it's casting down all these thoughts that are contrary to the truth that's in Christ. The throne is being established. What God has done is being established in our hearts. He's putting away our thoughts, our ideas, and he's bringing forth his own. Now, I, I, I make this statement, and I was having a conversation with someone recently. And I say, and I say well, if you got a brand new body, like a lot of people talk about, and go to heaven with it. But your mind's not changed. And you're going to live forever. Are you in heaven or hell? If that mind isn't transformed. And you've got this brand new body. It never dies. It never wears out. It's like, like people talk about. It lasts forever. And that mind is not transformed. Is that heaven? No. So God ruling and reigning in us is in the transforming business, the changing business. And that's why this word has to be revealed in us to transform us, to change us, to, to cleanse us. Doesn't just cleanse us, it does. It cleanses us from those things we call sin but it and it does do that, so I don't want to make light of that because I'm sure we're in need of that. But it cleanses our thought, 
It removes this carnal understanding. It removes this carnal mind as He's revealed in us. And what comes forth in us is the peaceable fruit of the Spirit, the peaceable, gentle person of Christ Himself. And that's the government we're in that God would bring that forth. That's His, that's his divine plan, that He would bring Christ forth in a people. And that a people would have the very mind of God and they would walk in the very understanding of the Lord. And His nature would fill their being. And they would know the Lord. All shall know me. Because I'm going to put my word in them. My transforming word. The law of the new covenant. I'm going to put it in them. And it's going to remove all this old. Because that's what that word did. That word became flesh and it just removed all this old just like we read. It took the hostility and killed it. Put it to death. Removed it. And raised out from it. And he didn't raise out from it by himself. He brought you and I with him. Whosoever call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever call upon the name of the Lord, they're plunged into that same salvation. Plunged into the same glorious Christ. For that glorious Christ to be revealed in them. For the kingdom of God to come into effect. The king to live in their midst. Anyway, I'll stop right here for tonight. And I'll uh, open it up.